For those of you who don't know, and I did see a few faces this morning that I haven't seen before, but I am Jasmine. I'm married to Matthew over there, and I've got three little kids, Zeke, who's six, Isaac, who's four, and Layla, who's two. Um, And I wanted to start today with a little story about my children, um, because it's a very exciting time of year for us in the Allenson household. It is only two sleeps until our son Isaac turns five, and it's only three sleeps until Christmas. So it's a very celebratory time of year. Um, And I'm going to give you a little sneak peek into the fantasy world of the Allenson family Christmas morning. Not not all of it's fantasy, but some of it is. Hello. Good job, darling. Um, Okay, so it's 5 a.m. and we're awake. That's not part of the fantasy. (laughs) That one, that is part of the reality. And usually Matt and I would send the kids back to bed at such an early wake-up call, but today it's different. Today it's Christmas. And Matt and I are tired from our late-night, last-minute present wrapping slash birthday cleanup. but we roll out of bed and we promise presents after coffees. <laughs> coffees first, then presents. Um, And it's not long until the craziness begins, wrapping paper flies around the room, carried by the excited shrieks and giggles and heartfelt thanks of the children as they open the gifts we've chosen for them. They're so excited and I sit back and think how much I love giving gifts to my children. My joy is complete. Watching the gifts that I've given them fill them with excitement, happiness and a sense that they are known and loved. Our minds have been buzzing for weeks with ideas of the things that they like doing, the things that they like watching, craft for Zeke, dragons for Isaac, Peppa Pig for Layla, and we know them so well, so the gifts are just perfect for them and they love them. The hustle and bustle is slowing down. This is where the fantasy bit comes in. (laughs) And the children climb high up into the tree and pull down a present, a secret present that's been hiding there. And they say, for you, mum, pausing in their own excitement to watch me open my gift. (laughs) I open it slowly, deep emotions stirring in my heart at the thoughtfulness of my children. Carefully pulling the wrapping paper aside, I see three gifts. And I will preface this by saying that these are actually three gifts that my kids have given me, but not this way at Christmas time. (laughs) The first thing I pull out is... If I can find it in here, not a phone, not a Bible, it is, wait for it, I can tell you're excited, a $2 coin, that's from me, Zeke says, and I know he's been doing all of his chores and working so hard to save his money. He's learning about the value of money and he has chosen to give some of it to me. And I do feel blessed. Next, I spy a straw and bead bracelet carefully cut up and strung onto a pipe cleaner. That's from me, Mum, Isaac says. I made it at preschool when I missed you. You can wear it when you miss me, Mum. I put it straight on, knowing the time and effort it would have taken him to make it, thinking of me when we couldn't be together. And he doesn't love craft, so I know he wasn't thinking of doing it for his own enjoyment. Lastly, most excitingly, 
I find a smudged naked doll. <laughs> Layla's favorite baby doll. It's for you, Layla says. <laughs> Promptly snatching it back, carrying it around and showing it all the presents she got for Christmas. Come and get it, darling. <laughs> I had to hide that from her all morning. She's like, can I look in the bag? And I'm like, no, 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 it's for later. As a parent, my heart had been full with the gifts that I had chosen to give my children. I had needed nothing else. But the gifts chosen for me by my children spoke to my heart. They spoke of my value in their lives. They spoke of the lessons they are learning and the love they hold for me. And they connected us in another way that my gifts for them couldn't have connected us on their own. Today's message is titled, The Gift I Bring. And I want to join together to read another story, which is the Christmas story and the gifts that were brought to Jesus. So I'm going to read from Matthew 2, 1 to 12. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. No, not at the moment. About that time, some wise men came from eastern lands and arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it arose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went on their way. This is the part to be listening to if you tuned out during that reading. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed low and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. My favorite verse out of this passage is, they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts. The wise men were firstly filled with joy. Secondly, they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chest. And I, um, when I was asked to talk about this, it wasn't really something I'd ever thought about. So I'm kind of discovering this through the message and with you guys this morning, um, that each of us has a treasure chest in life filled with our most valuable possessions. And today we're going to talk about those treasure chests, what we hold in them, and who we give those treasures to. So firstly, let's think about the practice of giving a gift. A gift is not something you generally give because you have to. The wise men did not give Jesus gifts under pressure, nor did they give him gifts because he needed the gifts. 
A gift is something that's given by choice. We could give it out of love, thanks, joy, generosity, thoughtfulness, apology, or even duty. It has an inherent implication in the gift that you are the one who chose to give it. Otherwise, it's not a gift. It's not given. It's taken from you. And we do love to give gifts to new babies when they're born. We can't earn a baby's love or favour by giving them a gift, but we bring our gifts out of joy and out of love and thanks. And because we look to the future of that child and we want to impart some goodness into that future. Today, as we talk about the gifts that we bring to Jesus, I just want to be really clear that Jesus has completely saved us. His grace is sufficient for every situation. Just as the wise men couldn't gain his favour or his approval with their gifts, we cannot be more loved, forgiven more, accepted more by Jesus because of our gifts. We cannot do more than Jesus has already done for us. He has done everything. But why would we bring him a gift then? And if we were to bring him a gift, what gift would we bring? There's many a song that says, I have no gift to bring I remember singing one in kindergarten. I was in this little musical ensemble, um, actually from kindy to year six, and we would go around to other schools and like public schools in the area because I went to a Christian school and we would perform all these little songs. And I remember a friend of mine got this song that I really, really wanted um, as like her solo song. And um, I've never forgotten that song. I think it was burned into me out of jealousy. Um, and it, was, it talked about the fact that there's no gift that we could bring that would be good enough. And even on the way here, Matt was saying to me that the song The Little Drummer Boy says, I have no gift to bring. So I think it's a fairly common thing that we think, oh, well, we've got no gift that we could bring to Jesus that would be good enough. But in this story, the wise men do bring gifts to Jesus, and it wasn't about whether they were good enough or not for Jesus. I think that if we take a step back and we see the wise men's first response to Jesus, their first response was joy, which is a great response. And their second response was worship. Then the third thing that they did was to give him gifts. And I think it's, it's kind of a representation of our journey with God. The first time we discover who he is, that he's the one who saves us and redeems us, we respond to him with joy. We find joy in the gift that he is to us. That he's the one who saves us and redeems us. When we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we learn to worship him in our lives. And we, hold, we learn to hold him high up above everything else and to cherish him in our daily walk. And as our worship flourishes and the depth of our relationship with him increases, we want to bring him gifts. And the gifts given by the wise men in the story have a symbolic meaning, which was really interesting to dive into. Um, and it teaches us about the kinds of gifts that we can bring to Jesus. So the first gift given was the gift of gold. Gold was precious and still is precious. It was a gift of high value, and within the culture at the time, it was a gift that was given to honour a king. So when the wise men gave him gold, they were speaking of Jesus' value and his place as the king of mankind. 
The second gift that was given was the gift of frankincense. In the culture at the time, frankincense was a gift that was reserved for a deity or a god. So it's often something that was used like in a temple to honor a god or to honor God. And so when the wise men gave Jesus this gift, they were speaking of him and acknowledging him as God. And the third gift that they gave him was the gift of myrrh. Now, again, at the time, in the culture, myrrh was used as an anointing oil in the embalming process when preparing a body for burial. And this was speaking of the purpose of Jesus coming as the anointed one who would lay down his life so that we could be saved. The gifts that the wise men gave were gifts that valued Jesus and acknowledged his rightful place in this world and the spiritual world. They were gifts that prophesied about his purpose, his place, and his person. And we are going to talk about those three things today, the purpose, place, and person of Jesus. These gifts were expensive treasures. They were really costly to the person giving them. Um... And they were to give honour and be a proclamation of who Jesus is and why he came. As I've been studying to come and give this message, I've come to think that we would give Jesus gifts for the same reason. So think of the story that we started with. Like Zeke did with me, maybe you bring Jesus your money, your resources, You're speaking of him as your provider. That's what you're proclaiming, that he is your provider. His place in your life is above the place of any money that you have. His person is that of one who will provide for your every need. And Mary demonstrates this gift in the book of John, in chapter 12, 1 to 7. I'm going to read an abridged version of it. Um... So it says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honour. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, The perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. I feel like this is such a rich passage. You could probably just stay here all morning, but we won't. (laughs) Mary gives a valuable gift to Jesus and then tenderly wipes this into his feet with her hair. She gives of her resources and of herself. A gift worth a year's worth of wages Can you imagine pouring a year's worth of wages out onto Jesus' feet? She does this, Jesus says, to proclaim his purpose, to die and be buried while in the spirit world he wages war for our souls. 
She does this to proclaim his place in her life, Lord of her life. She does this to proclaim his position. She's bowing low at his feet as she wipes it into his feet with her hair. Judas did not understand the heart behind the gift. Unlike Mary, he did not come from a place of worshipping Jesus. He didn't have that joy when he met Jesus. He didn't learn to worship him and then desire to give him gifts. To him, the gifts seem like a waste. And there will be people that you encounter in your life who would view the gift that you give to Jesus as a waste. But Jesus will always be right there with you saying, leave her alone, leave him alone, because he knows the heart behind your gift. Like Isaac did with me, maybe you bring him your time and your effort. When you do this, you're speaking of him as your sustainer. There are other ways you could use your time and other areas that require your effort. His place in your life is as Lord of your time. His person is one who will guide your effort and cause your effort to have an impact far greater than you may ever know or understand. And I think a wonderful example of this in the Bible is Paul. I'm going to read a little bit. I'm not even reading all of it, but it's pretty intense from 2 Corinthians 11, where he talks a little bit about how his time and effort has been used as a gift for Jesus in his life. He says, I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have, I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to believe but are not believers. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray that I do not burn with anger? I mean, goodness me. And I didn't even read all of it. There were more things that he went through. What a life Paul lived, gifting his time and his effort to his saviour. And throughout all of this, he continued to gift his time and his effort because he knew who Jesus was. I know in my own life, I've given time and effort. And when I haven't seen the direct results of my effort or when I have come up against discouragement and disappointment, I have questioned why I am doing this. But here I see a person who gave, not because of the outcome, but because he was proclaiming the person of Jesus. He was proclaiming the place that Jesus has in this world. He was proclaiming the position that Jesus has in his life as king, as God, as the anointed one who saves us. Paul sums up his trust in Jesus, the foundation for him continuing to gift his time and effort despite the hardships he endured in Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 1, 9 to 12, he says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, 
but because that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the good news. That is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard whatever I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Now I've lost my smudged naked doll, but like Layla did with me, maybe you bring him, oh, there it is. <laughs> maybe you bring him your children. May, not you guys in the first row. <laughs> maybe you bring him your siblings, your parents, those you love most dearly. When you bring him those people as gifts, you are speaking of him as their protector and proclaiming as you loosen your grip that he is holding them firmly, that he is the king of this world and of the next. If we are looking for this gift in the Bible, we can find it in the story of Hannah and Samuel. And I'm going to read a bit of that story. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah did not. So Panina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look down on my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you and he will be yours for his entire lifetime. The story continues that Hannah does fall pregnant and she has a son and she calls him Samuel. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned. Then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. He's a good husband. <laughs> Stay here for now and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. When you think of the most valuable treasure you have in your life, the most valuable treasure in your treasure chest, for almost everybody, the people in their life are at the top of the list. And for parents, their children are invaluable. You would give away every other thing in your treasure chest for your children. When I was younger, I was sure that I would be a missionary in Russia alongside orphan children. It was all that I wanted to do. This took my mum a long time to accept. She cried many tears into her pillow and fought with God about his calling for me. Until one day, she surrendered her child to God. She loosened her grip 
and proclaimed Jesus' position in her life and in my life as God, his place as king. And I remember the relief that I felt as a child knowing that she had given me to God as a gift and that I was free to follow the path that God led me on with her blessing. Now, I did not end up going to Russia (laughs) and I live 10 minutes away from my mum and I see her every day. Um, But I have never, ever forgotten the struggle that she went through when I look at my own children, my husband, my siblings and loved ones, and I want to hold them really tight as mine rather than giving my hold in their life over to Jesus as a gift. I can only imagine how hard it was for Hannah to leave Samuel there and return home. But she gave her, as she gave her son as a gift, she was proclaiming who God is in her life, what he has done and what he is capable of doing. And we know that Samuel grew up to be such an important man of God in his time. We often bring Jesus our sin and our sorrow, our questions and our doubts. I I mean, I often bring God those things and I assume that other people often bring God those things too. But as I was preparing this, I was just thinking to myself, do we bring him the things that we most value? Do we bring him gifts that prophesy about and proclaim who he is in, in our lives? Gifts that we show that him that we value him and that we trust him. There were many people, religious people, who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, who still don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But the wise men, they brought gifts to Jesus because they believed and they trusted. Our gifts that we bring are born from the trust in who Jesus is, not just who Jesus is to the world, but who Jesus is to us personally. We can come with joy, worship him, and bring him gifts. Now, we've talked about the kinds of gifts that, we, um, that have been brought to Jesus and the kind of gifts that we could bring to Jesus. And we definitely have talked about why we would do that in terms of that it's proclaiming who he is in our lives. But as I sat and thought more about the why. God so clearly just, I was like one of those times where you just open your Bible and here's this verse and it was God saying, this is the verse about the why you would bring gifts to me. It's from Matthew 6, 19 to 21 and it's one that you'll all probably be familiar with. Uh, It says, don't store up treasure here on earth, store up treasure in heaven for wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will be also. When we give our treasure from our treasure chest to Jesus, our heart and thoughts are with him. Jesus knows the safest place for our heart and thoughts to be is with him. And his word demonstrates symbolically through the wise men and not symbolically, just in reality, in the lives of Mary, Paul, and Hannah, the treasures that we can give to him and store with him. And I'm going to finish with the, the words that we read from Paul, and I felt like this was the words that God wanted me to leave you with. So I'll just read Matthew again, and then these final closing words from Paul. Don't store up treasure here on earth. 
store up treasure in heaven. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will be also. And Paul says, For I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return.